And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God in the form of the unsearchable inheritance of Christ. Matthew 5:45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. And so here the perfection is that we would behave as our Heavenly Father to shine with our Son upon the evil and on the good and send rain upon the just and unjust, just as the Heavenly Father. This promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations. And this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue and in part. <clears throat> We've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within uh, received by us in the two broken tablets where we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life that we that he then provide where we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave, he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 we note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God which is presented in the preached word of God sent together with the person who represents a father of God to us. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the, to the order of God in accordance to which God sends us his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, the spoken word of God's delegated ones. God's faith is information that comes from God. Faith is from hearing the word of God. Our faith is obedience to this information. Obedience to the words of God that we hear. Faith does not come from reading the Word of God. It comes from hearing the Word of God. Faith is from hearing. And so you can read as much as you'd like, but if you simultaneously are not preparing your heart uh, to listen when you go to the service, the one the things that you read will make you prideful. You will attempt with your mind to interpret the scriptures and will therefore subject yourself to destruction because you will attempt to compare or level your mind with God's mind. These are God's thoughts that are concealed. And to 
open them or reveal them can be done by a person whom God has given power to and anointed by the Holy Spirit to be his words and be and carry his revelations if theologians say this is rhema they are uh, greatly mistaking the this is logos this is these are the thoughts of god they're written as in the format of god's thoughts and to understand these thoughts is possible when someone uh, who is from god that a mercy be given to a person and given to them for the sake of those that are seeking God's order, God's word within his order, within which his body functions. One body, one head, God can't give a revelation to all, but to one. And when I say this, people become angry. What, you make yourself the exception? No, I do not make myself an exception. I'm talking about the way God's order works. One head, one body. One person can, uh, uh, in the church, <coughs> to whom God reveals, <coughs> and the rest will take from him. And I'll say even also that, according to scripture, not just in one church, can be one person, but even an entire country at times. You know that John writes, John, to the seven churches, not the seven churches to John, but John to the seven churches, and each of these churches that he was writing to had between three to three and a half thousand uh, uh, churches uh, and so all over all of these churches there was one person and the revelation was not given to even those standing over those churches he only revealed to John today the situation has not changed the person to whom God reveals his truth the mysteries of his word this person is the carrier of his revelations let us go forward in a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to d determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are a part of, of the sons of peace. This is by our ability to be clothed or clothe ourselves into the essence of the holy and selective love of God. Because when we say holy love, not every person understands what holy means. Holy is selective. Because holiness, what does it do? It separates the impure from from the pure from impure and holy from unholy. And so God's holy love is selective. It does not love all in general. It loves only some, and that is the ones it the ones that it has chosen, those who have been predetermined, predestined. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. Here it's talking about uh, thankful, being thankful amongst amongst the, saint, the saints. This is a love between saints, not a love between the saints and the world, or the saints and the lawless or uh, the devil. And so a love 
<coughs> we're talking about friendship and a love. When people say, God loves everyone, the first thing I say, I ask the question, the devil also? Does God love the devil also? And one Pentecostal pastor told me, yes, he also loves the devil. And if God will not save the devil and the angels, his angels, and all the sinners in the world, then he is not a God of love and he is not all-powerful, almighty. And he told me, I thought you understood it like this too. And I said, what difference does it make what I understand or you understand? Your <coughs> uh, we're looking at what the scriptures say. Find out what God's nature is like. He's first holy. He first of all is holy. And the angels, the archangels, what did they say about his... Uh, they're not talking about how he's almighty. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. He's first of all holy. And so he has loved his church. Jesus has not loved the world. He loved his church. And the church is the bride of the Lamb. Christ with this showed that there will be many called, but few that are chosen. The chosen by God remnant, the bride of the Lamb. This is the one he's loved. He did not love everyone in general. The churches that are overfilled, that doesn't mean he loves all in general. Because you can go to church, be a member of a church, but at the same time, not love God. You can say... You love God, but deny Him with your works. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible upon the condition that the selective love of God abides within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. In the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for our human mind goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. God has loved in this world those who believe in Him so that those who believe in Him not perish but have everlasting, lo uh, everlasting life. It says it's not written it's not written that way, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so they take this place and they... You see, God has loved the whole, the world. But next, if you read, that each one who believes in Him, in Him would have everlasting life. And further down in this very chapter, uh, John says, Don't love the world or anything in the world, because everything that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, lusts of life, uh, the flesh, and uh, the cares of life. And so... Can God love then these people that are carriers of these lusts? Of course not. God loves the righteous and hates the, the lawless, the wicked. He loves the one that repents. Not a, a, a sinner who does not plan to repent. He came to save the angel said to Joseph, uh, husband of Mary, he will come to save his his people from their sins. And so this place of scripture, John 3.16, needed to be translated properly. It is 
it possibly was translated correctly, but today, in our uh, understanding of the language, uh, is not uh, the essence of it is not correct. Uh, God so loved those who believe in Him in the world that He gave His only begotten Son for these who believe in Him, that each one who believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God judge the world. They're condemned. And we see this in the book of the Apostles, Prophets, that God has already condemned the world, and there's no mercy for the world. God will save from this world, as He saved Noah and his family from that world in the Ark of Salvation, because all flesh had perverted its ways. And so in scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in scripture in the preached word of the apostles and prophets in seven elements, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, written in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8, that sometimes Christians call the ladder of Peter not realizing that it's truly a ladder. They don't even realize. They say this is a ladder. Uh, Jacob saw a ladder uh, upon which angels ascended and descended to him. It wasn't to to the earth, but they ascend and descend to the heart of a person. If in the heart of a person there's such a ladder, then angels will rise and... Uh, descend upon this uh, this ladder, bring revelations. This is what it's referring to. Each of these seven qualities of the fruits of virtue are contained in one the other, contain the characteristics of one the other. They flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example that is inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises, the unsearchable inheritance of Christ given to us in Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ. The given qualities presented in the seven characteristics are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. In order to enter into these in, this, kind, this inheritance, these seven unchanging characteristics, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, which is possible when we leave infancy, spiritual infancy. We die for this nation, the house of our Father, and our destructive desires, because the Holy Spirit cannot lead a person if if he enters as the Lord and Master into your heart, that means you will be led by the Holy Spirit. But how can a person be led by the Spirit of God, an infant, if he does not differentiate evil from good and calls good evil an evil good? They are attracted by every wind of doctrine. They say this one speaks correctly, this one speaks correctly, uh, and they will be as as a leaf that was uh, fall, fell from a tree that will f uh, fl fl uh, fly there here by the winds. Uh, 
I asked a man that was listening or doing this, and he told me, I asked him some questions, and he told me that he, I like this preacher also. He speaks the truth, but you also speak the truth. And we were speaking the complete opposite uh, things, and he spe- uh, the other gentleman that he was listening to spoke heresies, literally from the stage. And he was saying that both were speaking the truth and good things, not differentiate one from the other. The means that we are to use to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of our the fruits of our spirit, we become a part of God's divine nature, which is why the confessions of the faith of our heart become equal to the words that come out of the mouth of God. The selective love of God is demonstrated in seven unchanging qualities and has necessarily in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of the human love, egotistical human love, which is filled with greed and is just temporary, that in nature is blind, which is why I will remind us of the saying that sometimes people have. Every time people talk about love or often, love is blind, you can even love a goat or anything else. You can fall in love with anything because it's blind. And it could lead you astray, they say. And they do. And they follow after these uh, evil as goats. They're uh, the, the, these uh, so-called leaders that are spiritual. Uh, they call spiritual uh they're evil, evil goats that they follow, leaders. And they generally have a very specific odor of, of uh, lawlessness. The power of the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called is called to enthrone the, re, uh, the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and destroy the stronghold of death in our bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> the bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. <clears throat> The selective love of God is unconditional only uh, for those whom she selects and not just by itself. Otherwise, it would not love just one and hate the other. (laughs) Then you need to love everyone to call it unconditional. But it's unconditional uh, toward the children of God, not the neighbor children, but his children. God loves only his children. You also love your children and care not for the well-being of your neighbor's children, but your children. And uh, keep them from neighboring children if you see things are not going well there and telling them not to be friends or, or, or follow the example uh, or form of life that the neighbor children may be following or doing. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities is different in, it con- in that it contains the burning jealousy of God. All his knowledge as it does not just see, it sees all things, it penetrates through all things, and 
it is also filled with absolute wisdom, God's absolute wisdom that is not able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and selfish, egotistical purposes of man. You are my father, you are my friend, you are my brother. You have to do this for me. God doesn't do this. If you sin, he's not going to look at the fact that you're his son. He will remove you from his presence. He removed the cherubim that was on high. He removed Adam from e- from the garden. He opened up the earth and, and Korah and Dathan were swallowed by the earth. Some of the better men, as you would call in Israel. However great a person may be, how famous, how anointed, as soon as the anointed of God stepped away from the Lord, immediately they perished. Dathan, if you remember, were destroyed. God's love is is not blind. If you're not in accordance to its standards, its virtues, its characteristics, its qualities, and are tempting to come to the Lord, He will destroy you. But you'll say, but I'm still alive. Yes, you're alive. But your prayers are dead. Every time you pray, He kills your, your prayers. He does not listen because He's not listening to a sinner who does not repent. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of God's love. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. And so the measure of God's love is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. If a person knows how to love, he needs to know how to hate also. The stronger your love will be, the stronger your hate will be toward those who uh, violate this and and are lawless. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 We see that righteousness and lawlessness are programs that out of a programmable system are not able to demonstrate themselves or impact a person. You need a programmable system. A programmable system is the heart of a person for for which uh, the powers of the light and powers of darkness uh, battle fight for in the in the ver- in that very heart and that program that we accept that is the program that will become then our governor our ruler the lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates the people of the world cannot be uh, wicked because they were never holy. The unclean or wicked are people that were previously holy, but then converted into the wicked and unclean. They have resisted God and decided to take his position. You say, how is it that they're trying to take his position? They, first of all, when the helpers of pastors <coughs> attempt to uh, to uh, accuse a pastor, criticize him, and, and do this so that they could take their place, just like the cherubim on high tried to do. 
Also, every time when we place our mind equal to God's mind, we attempt with our mind to interpret the scriptures, we place ourselves in, God, uh, in God's place, in God's position, not understanding that's what we're doing, and make ourselves unclean. If we truly are infants and we're doing this, then God does not uh, account this as uh, a sin of death. That at this time when this happens he has appointed a specific time by which we need to get out of it and when we if we don't come out of this uh, position of infancy at a proper time then our wickedness will be confirmed and that is the essence in the last days churches will be filled with these kinds of people the carriers of Satan, religious spirits, these will be terrible churches. They're going to be doing all kinds of evil work. They're going to be laying, shouting, uh, squawking, trying to draw fire from heaven. All will be uh, great evil because God's true greatness will can only be amongst a holy and great silence where a person prepares himself to listen to the word of God. The beauty of holiness. Today's form of service, the charismatic service, so-called charismatic in, in quote services absolutely absolutely do not correspond uh, to the true form of service of God true a char- charisma is the practice of spiritual gifts but not a form of service that they so called they call themselves they're charismatic people what kind of charismatic people are these are false charismatic people <coughs> The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves the righteous, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in his reaction toward the righteous who perform good and the unrighteous who perform lawlessness. In Job it says he he directs his uh, clouds filled with moisture to bless one and curse the other, punish the other. And so those who interpret the fifth chapter of Matthew where he says he pours out his rains upon the righteous and unrighteous, you see he blesses those and the others. Look on television how God blesses uh, his people or blesses the people with rain thousands and thousands of people are left often without houses will you say this is a blessing a blessing is when rain comes in its time and in measure if I will increase the amount of rain then it will become a curse it will destroy you it will drown you as at the time of the flood or the sun you see look at Africa it just burns everything I was there where Sodom and Gomorrah were. The, the, during the day times, there was 63 degrees in, in uh, temperature Celsius. I did not come even leave the hotel 
I only went very early outside. And it was uh, it was very, very hot, so it was very difficult to be outside. Only very early could you uh, come out, and it was 53 degrees about Celsius in the morning, which you could still somewhat tolerate. <clears throat> but when Jesus returns to rule here for a thousand years, Israel will flourish as the Garden of Eden. The climate will become completely different. There where the Dead Sea that's where the Garden of Eden uh, looked. It looked like the Garden of Eden when <coughs> it was a beautiful place, a good climate. But today, just a curse. And you say that God loves everyone the same. He shines the sun the same upon the one and the other. For the righteous, he warms. The unrighteous, it burns. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father so we can shine the light of our Son upon the just and the unjust and pour out our reins according to God's intentions upon the righteous for good and the unrighteous to punish them. Considering, therefore, that these seven qualities of virtue... <clears throat> identifying the selective love of God do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon in any dictionary of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all the love of God. Agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to his people, the people that she selects by uh, by foreknowing and predestining. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 <coughs> Foreknowing is something that can be done by the Heavenly Father. The devil cannot foreknow. Only God can foreknow. He can guess, but he cannot foreknow. Our Heavenly Father, because He is omnipresent, <clears throat> He simultaneously is in the present, in the past, and the future. And so He, being in the future, before the earth was even created, he already saw us. Do you think he just bore us? As as people, when they bear children, they don't know who they'll have, a boy or a girl. But God, before bearing his children, he knew how they will be and what <coughs> calling they will have. He already knew all this. <coughs> and he foreknew them. He knew us all together. How? He saw... When you will hear the truth, you will not reject it. You will f go and you will follow and you will accept it. And that is where, when he foreknew and he predestined you. The scriptures say he foreknew you before the creation of the world. And so because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will enter in and dine with him and he with me. He is 
all-powerful. He could have opened uh, the door. He could remove you with the entire house, but he comes and he gently knocks and waits. Ten years, thirty years, forty years. He can stand there for tens of years waiting. Why? Because he knows that still the day will come when you will respond to him. And those whom he foreknew that they will not open the door, he won't even go to that door. He will not knock upon a door that is not ever going to be opened to him. If you think that he knocks upon every door, <coughs> sometimes they sing songs that he uh, he passes by every door and knocks. No, he doesn't do this. The author was a person that wasn't understanding of the truth, and he thought that he knocks upon every door. He knocks only upon his doors. He will come only for his own. Not looking at the fact that he'll come as a thief, he'll come and take only his own. He won't take what is not belonging to him. <clears throat> the selective love of God never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated as the burning holiness of God. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God and the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 By demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God, agape, within the heart of a man, in his words, his thoughts, his actions, and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite gender. There exists, exists a root difference between God's goodness in his favor toward man and the goodness or godliness of a man, which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor toward God and his grace toward God, his thanksgiving toward God. This is his ability to visit the fatherless and widow in their hardship and keep themselves from being, being defiled by the world, imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills, seeking God in His good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God is a reaction of God toward a man's goodness toward him. Turn to me and I will turn to you. To turn to God is to demonstrate your goodly goodness or godliness uh, to God. How do you do this? By fulfilling his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. When you start following his commandments, he begins to show you his favor. As a reaction, as a response. And so God's godliness is his goodness, his favor, and his grace toward man as a response, his mercifulness, his thanksgiving toward man, his good work, and his good acts toward a man, his kindness, in the absolute sense of the word. Aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well amongst the nation of God that will conflict with and resist the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away, 2 Timothy 3.5. 
when it if if you want to receive a tolerant form of mentality then you can't turn away the people who left and abandoned the church we don't communicate with them and do not plan to communicate with them sometimes people call me and say you know your relative or your member previous member of a church something happened and I asked them, why are you calling me saying they're ours? They left us because they were not of us. If they would have been of us, they would have remained with us. If they left, that means they were not of us. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them according to scripture, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. In the book of prophet Isaiah, if the wicked will be shown mercy in heaven, he also will not be looking at the greatness of God because in his nature he, he won't. He can't change anymore the wicked. He is now in the state of wickedness that he himself cannot change. He made that very decision to be wicked. He was holy. Relevant to this fact, we came to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What characteristics do the scriptures ascribe the godliness of God and that of man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill in our relationship with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill in order to collaborate our godliness with God's godliness? And by what signs do we need to identify our godliness and that it truly collaborates with the godliness of God? Relevant to this fact, we in a specific format already looked at two signs of question four where we need to examine ourselves on whether we collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God and stop to study the third sign. This is the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm of David, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. He makes me a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, 1-6 Evidence of the fact that God is our pastor in the given Psalm of David consists in four things. This evidence is that the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. To examine yourself and weigh yourself upon the scale plates of the of the Lord or scale plates of righteousness that we possess the listed components is to be done by four other components which demonstrate themselves when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. First, we will not fear evil for God is with us. His rod and his staff, they will comfort us. God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies and God has anointed our head with oil and our cup runs over. Relating to the given list, 
It was necessary for us to look at the essence of each one individually within the light of Scripture. In the previous services, we in a specific format already looked at three components that the Lord is our pastor and stopped to look at the fourth component, which states, He leads me in the paths of righteousness, which indicates the fact that the person whom the Lord leads upon the paths of righteousness is led by the Holy Spirit that he is no longer an infant, a person that is carnal or of the flesh. A person of the flesh does not accept what is of the spirit, for he does not have the spirit. He speaks in tongues, practices spiritual gifts, but does not have the spirit. Just as infants, they do not have the spirit. Speaking in tongues is not telling you that you have the spirit. We have the ability, a gift, of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the ability, He gave our spirit the ability, and our spirit has the ability to speak with God. But the Holy Spirit may not be there. When Eleazar went to Mesopotamia to find Rebecca, the first thing he did is he gave gifts. And notice who he gave to Laban, the father of Rebecca, and to the brother, and to her also. To her also. He, uh, there were different, there were silver and gold items that he gave them. And he did not keep her there another day. In the evening he, uh, he came, and in the morning he took her and left. They asked him, please stay longer, but he said, no, don't keep me. When they called the young girl and asked her, will you go with this man? She never saw this person who would be, <clears throat> would be, who would possibly be much older than her. <clears throat> and he was. And she said, I will go. What prompted this beauty of the East to go to an unknown place? This is because she was in accordance to a bride of the Lamb. If she will give drink to my camels, she'll give drink to me and my camels. Then this is the one whom you had prepared for the son of my master. And he did not even uh, finish these things in his mind, saying these things in his mind, in his secret room. A secret room is to pray also in your mind in yourself, in your thoughts, so Satan not hear what you pray. When you begin to pray in tongues, when you speak with the things, with your regular language, the devil can hear your problems. I try always never to uh, state my problem aloud with my mouth. I, sp I state my problems in my mind, and then the devil doesn't know my problems. He's trying to find out, but he, he can't figure it out. In tongues, he won't understand, and only in my regular uh, tongue will I then state that, thank God and uh, speak of all the great things. I grew up in such a church. Uh, uh, that they did all these things. Uh, I, in my mind, would uh, uh, speak my needs in my mind, but I never said it out loud. And 
the false prophets say when in the church I grew up in there were those who prophesied so they would uh, want to understand what your problems were and I never ever stated my problems aloud because the devil never heard them and so anytime I would think them in my mind uh, the devil didn't know my problems so he couldn't reveal it through these false prophets never ever express again your problems with your with your mouth but only in your mind as Eleazar did he did not even finish uh, speaking these things in his mind and the young girl came out and uh, she, she, he asked her, give me drink. And she said, here, master, drink, and I will also give to your camels. And he was looking surprisingly. And then he asked, whose daughter are you? And she said, uh, the son of Bethuel, or daughter of Bethuel. This is the brother of... of this is a relative of Abraham and he was very surprised to hear all of this of course and as we know he took just her back to Isaac we note that it is impossible to lead a person upon the paths of righteousness against his will if he does not understand and does not differentiate the paths of righteousness from paths of his mind or paths of the wicked and lawless who support the wicked. In Hebrew, one of the identifications of the paths of righteousness are the nets of the Most High. At the same time, the paths of the wicked are their nets of the wicked into which they catch unstable souls. Infants and people of the flesh, a more complex complete definition of the path of righteousness is a net of righteousness, ways of righteousness or ways of the Lord, a furnace which cleanses or refines from foreign particles of the soul, the step of righteousness, feet of righteousness and prince of righteousness, growth, enlargement and increase upon the paths of righteousness, being grafted to the body of Christ upon the paths of righteousness. This is what it means that the Lord directs me upon the paths of righteousness. I will remind us that we are looking at the paths of righteousness Righteousness within the heart of a righteous person, living within with his spirit in the house of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Psalm 84, 4, 5. All of the elements of the paths of righteousness are dissolved one in the other, exist one in the other, and support one the other, and identify the truthful nature or legitimacy of one the other. Today we will focus our attention on the quality of the path of righteousness which demonstrates itself within the heart of a man in God's footsteps that are not known. God leads you in paths that are unknown because if you are led by paths you know, you don't need to believe. But if you are going in a upon a path or upon footsteps you don't know, following footsteps you don't know, then you need faith. The paths of righteousness, as they are in the unknown footsteps of the Lord, demonstrate themselves within the heart of a man when he allows the Holy Spirit to lead him to the goal of adopting his body by the redemption of Christ by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great, O God, as our God? Your ways was in the sea, your path is in the great waters, and your footsteps were not, were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, Psalm 77, 13 through 20. According to the given prayer, uh, prayer, 
prayer of praise that is offered to God and magnifies God, the holy path by which God led his nation through the sea was in his unknown footsteps. Footstep is an imprint foot impression upon any sort of surface from the root of this word and so this means that you don't see the one you follow you need to see the foot impressions or footprints by which you need to walk you sometimes see these prints upon the beach up, uh, up on the sand and then the wave comes and the steps are removed or the, the prints are, are, are removed or from the root of this word came other wordings such as to follow or follow in my footsteps, to watch your steps, a follower, investigator of a footstep and step direction. And so to follow God's footsteps, you need to be a professional to differentiate his prints from other prints. What if there are a lot of different prints that all go in different directions? Try to, a professional will differentiate one print from the other. I've met with a person, however many uh, prints will be in the in the forest, I'll be able to differentiate the one that I'm looking for, that animal, that bear or any other animal, and lead uh, my way all the way to where he may be, the location of where he is. Looking at the above-read place of Scripture, the path of the Lord in great waters of our heart, by which the Lord leads us by the hand of Moses and Aaron to adopting our body by the redemption of Christ in character are identified as unknown footsteps, or those that are known only to God and not known to anyone else except those who receive them. In the revelation of the Holy Spirit, in the form of a footprint or foot impression upon which is written our new name. And so again, we receive it by the words of God's delegated one. He who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. Revelations 2.17 God inside will place what only you will know. You know how God speaks sometimes from the stage. A person understands that it is to him and no one else understands. God knows how to direct his word to you specifically and a person knows it is exactly for him. The symbol of Moses being clumsy in word, which Aaron interpreted, leading us upon the unknown footsteps of God to adopting our body by the redemption of Christ, is the symbol of the Thummim being clumsy in word, which the Urim then explains within our heart. When we receive the truth, we don't completely always understand it. And so we need the Holy Spirit, we need the Urim that will reveal that truth in our heart. And so the symbol of Moses and Aaron is the Thummim and Urim, the elementary truth and teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit that reveals this truth in the heart. <coughs> to walk upon unknown footsteps of God by the means of the power of the Thummim and Urim is to be led by the Holy Spirit, which is evidence of the fact that we are children of God, because only children of God can be led by the Holy Spirit.
I, in the church I grew up, they told me that those who speak in tongues are children of God, and those who don't speak in tongues are not children of God, <coughs> because they interpreted uh, that all who are the children of God, the sons of God, are filled with the Spirit. And so they, I asked them the question, here it's written, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, it doesn't. It's not those who speak in in the spirit of God, but are led by the spirit of God. And he would tell me, "Be careful, brother. Don't don't bring in heresies into the teaching." I was not bringing heresies to the teaching. I was just asking questions, and then I asked him another question. Please find me the place of scripture for those who speak in tongues are children of gods, of God. And people were looking for it. I had more than one person who was searching the scriptures for this. And uh, and he would, they would tell me, I know this place exists, and they looked everywhere. And I know it exists, but I can't find it anywhere in the Bible because it doesn't actually exist. In the Word of God, such a thing doesn't exist. Also, where some people preach, make one step toward God and He will make two steps toward you. It says, turn to me and I will turn to you, but it doesn't uh, talk about the steps. And people also are very confident that's in the Bible as well. And so, if you remember the story of the son, the lost son, when the father ran to his son, now count the steps. How many steps did he take to run to him? As when you walk, you uh, walk, you stop, you walk, you stop, where uh, you walk as much as you need to in your path. You're walking. Uh, but God's love does not have a number. You can't give numbers. And how is it you, you gave a number one to two? It is specifically the Urim in the form of the Holy Spirit who is called to reveal the truth within the heart that is concealed within the format of the Thummim. We need to never forget that if a person is baptized by the Holy Spirit but does not make sure to, by being instructed in the faith, receive into his heart two great witnesses that stand before God of all the earth in the form of the Urim and, thum- and Thummim, then the significance of his baptism will stop being baptism and will be a waste. Therefore, if within the heart of a person the clarity of the truth of the elementary principles of Christ is not imprinted, the Holy Spirit will not have any grounds to abide within his heart in order to reveal the truth within the heart of a man. That was either uh, because if he does not have the principles of Christ, principles of Jesus Christ imprinted, the word that will be there will be either perverted or just words that are unknown to him in general. Psalm 48:3-7. God is in her. Pl- God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain, as of a woman in birth pangs. And when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. 
God within the palaces of our heart. God lives only within a wise heart. Is known as the refuge, saving us from kings that are against us within our body, who use the ability of the fleshly mind to direct us to goals that are identified as eternal doom or destruction, reigning sin that lives within the body, that is the old person with his deeds. And so these kings within our body that are against the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ is our fleshly mind, serving the interests of reigning sin in the form of our old person with his deeds. And so again, the fleshly mind, these Tarshish ships, God brings everything, but for God to be able to use the mind of a person, it is necessary for a person to die for his nation, the house of his father, and his destructive desires, so that his mind be renewed. An unrenewed mind is not able to be a Tarshish ship. Why did God uh, destroy these Tarshish ships? Because a person placed his mind equal to God's mind. For God to be known within the palaces of our heart as the refuge saving us from the kings that are against us within our body, it is necessary to possess the mind of Christ within your spirit, making us partakers of Salem and his dwelling place in Zion. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Psalm 76, 1-2. The signs by which we need to determine that we possess within our heart the Thummim and the Urim and that God is known in the palaces of our heart as a refuge of our body from the corruption and death is well illustrated within the characteristics of the prophecy of Isaiah. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kadar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man a man of war. He shall cry out, this is all will happen within our body. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud, he shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all of their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness lie before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed. Who trust in carved images, who say to the molding images, You are our God. Hear you, O deaf, and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he is, who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does he does not hear. Isaiah 42, 11 through 20. First, the inhabitants living in the wilderness and its cities. Second, the inhabitants living in the villages that Kadar inhabits. The third, inhabitants living upon the heights of the mountains. And fourth, the inhabitants that live upon the coastlands, also known as islands. In order to lead us by unknown footsteps, by to adopting our body by the redemption of Christ, we need to be in accordance to the requirements of these four characteristics presented in the inhabitants dwelling in four different locations. In fact, the identification of these four locations or places is not four different categories of men, but rather 
four characteristics within one person who belongs to the category of the chosen by God remnant who are called to give the Holy Spirit proper grounds to lead us upon unknown paths and unknown footsteps to adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. Considering this, all of these four characteristics are called to find themselves in the abilities to possess the virtue of deafness and blindness that the finisher of our faith Jesus had. In order to hear the voice of the Thummim and Urim within your heart, it is necessary to be deaf to foreign voices of your flesh and fleshly people being supported by organized powers of darkness. In other words, in order to receive the ability to see that comes from the wellspring of the Thummim and Urim, it is necessary to be blind to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or cleanse your conscience from dead works. And for this purpose, it is necessary to complete the process of total sanctification necessary for total dedication that is done within the condition of the covenant of a man with God during sacrifice, which upon practice means by the cross of the Lord Jesus, die for your nation, the house of your father, and for the corrupt or destructive desires clothed within person, personal good work and personal service. After casting off the old man with his deeds and renewing your mind by the spirit of your mind, the mind of our soul will begin to assist our new person. Our Tarsha ships will begin to assist our new person under the rule of the mind of Christ, which is the new person, the new person's intelligent aspect or intelligent realm. Collaborating our mind with the mind of Christ, we will obtain the virtue of deafness and blindness of Christ so that we, being instructed in the faith, can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, revealing the truth within the heart and see the works of God, done for the purpose of adopting our body by the redemption of Christ. It is not possible to, to simultaneously hear and see what God is doing within our heart and the devil is doing within our body. You need to listen closely to what is happening within in the body and listen to the information that comes from God. I know Jesus says that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do not and you do what you have seen with your father. John 8:37-38. To the disciples, Jesus says, I have called you friends for all these things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Why did he say this? Because they were able to hear John 15, 15. And so an infant will never be able to hear the voice of God. A person that is of a flesh will not be able to hear the voice of God. O oh, my threshing and the grain of my floor, that which I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have declared to you, Isaiah 21.10. It is specifically by the virtue of deafness and blindness that we are to examine ourselves as to whether we have the above-mentioned three characteristics. 
in order to provide the Holy Spirit proper grounds to go out like a mighty man and like a man of war so that he can destroy the stronghold of death within our body, which is the armor of the old person upon which he relies, we will look at the essence and actions of these three characteristics within our heart and the fruits of righteousness. I will remind us that wilderness is a format of sanctification where we separate and and forget our nation, the house of our Father, and the destructive desires of our uncrucified soul in order to be prepared for establishing a covenant with God. The cities of the wilderness is a format of dedication where we, in accordance to the made covenant with God, are separated from all that is in nature unholy. The city is always something that is surrounded by a wall. The etymology of the word city means a dwelling place protected by a city wall with an inbuilt uh, with inbuilt towers from the position of which a person first is able to be vigilant to see the approaching enemy and second is able to stand guard of his heart to watch what God will say to him and how he needs to respond in his plea. Which indicates the fact that the category of saints possessing the characteristic of a wilderness with its cities has cleansed her conscience from dead works and has built herself into a breastplate of judgment and became able to hear the voice of God in her heart and God received the proper grounds to hear her. The phrase, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice is a format of an oath demonstrated in holiness where we are exalted over our enemies in order to take the guilt of our household upon ourselves. The villages that Kadar inhabits is a symbol of the given to us liberty of Christ in which we are called to stand. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1 Villages that Kadar inhabits are a people that love freedom whose forefather is Kadar, the second son of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. This is a symbol of our soul that is delivered from the power of the old person. I am dark but lovely, O daughter of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Songs of Solomon 1.5 The liberty of Christ is liberty from sin, which we begin to possess when by the means of baptism in the death of the Lord Jesus we die so we can carry the image of the new person and become carriers of the image of the heavenly person. The phrase, let the villages that Kedar inhabits lift up their voice is the command to present the members of our body as servants of righteousness, as we previously presented them as servants of sin. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Psalm 68:18. Inhabitants living upon the heights of the mountains are saints living by promises that belong to the door of their hope, giving us the guarantee that we will meet the Lord in the air when we we when he comes to be glorified in his saints in the coming day. By faith, Enoch was taken away that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had his testimony that he pleased God. Hebrews 11.5 I will remind us that the testimony that Enoch received before he was taken to God was the fruit of righteousness in the form of his son Methuselah, whose name means driving away death. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 
hundred years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5, 21 through 24. The phrase, let the inhabitants of Selah sing, let them shout from the top of the mountains, is linked to the name of Methuselah, which means consider yourself dead to sin and living for God, proclaiming the not existent as existent. To sing and shout in this place, in this promise, in the form of Methuselah, means to bear him. To shout of the promises is the time to enter into the inheritance of the given promise that you can no longer withhold within yourself, just as a woman during labor cannot withhold the fruits that are within her, her womb. Specifically, the format of such a shout allowed the sons of Israel to enter into the land of their inheritance. Our time today is up, and we are going to bend our knees and our heads, and we will pray and thank God for the word that we were able to receive today. And all those who desire to resist any fear, any sin, however bound you may be, however, however you may feel, you can be unbound by confessing that faith that you hear God can destroy your shackles he can renew your relationship with him and so today again and again we experience a time where we can restore our relationship with God there's not a lot of time left so that it not be that as what happened with the Pharaoh when Moses was leading his people out. <clears throat> they shouted, Pharaoh, he had lost and missed the time that was given to him. He had the time. <clears throat> there was a time when Pharaoh obeyed Joseph, but the time came when he no longer obeyed God. And we need to listen to our heart and not listen to our mind. Amen. Let us pray.
I will pray your prayer together with you and I ask that you deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. This is the reason you are here and you hear these words so that God would be able to show you his favor and pour out his goodwill upon you. He is very happy that you have come to him and have opened your heart to him. He can do what is impossible for your mind, for your will. He has enough power when you trust him to be able to bring you and lead you in paths unknown to you to adopt your body by the redemption of Christ. Close your eyes. This is your room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that you are without doubt and without anger. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. You see that it's wounded wounded by sin. I am bound. I hate sin. I love holiness. I love you. Deliver me from these shackles of sin. Break these chains. I want to have a good relationship with you. I love you. I want my body to be adopted by your redemption. I have accepted this promise into my heart. Help me keep it and grow it. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He look upon you with His great face, and show you mercy, and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings that of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you and be opened up, these promises of adopting your body by the redemption of Christ be upon you and your children also and be fulfilled. And the nation shall say, Amen. God is vigilant over His Word in your body, which is His temple. The Word that you heard and that you confessed and that you said Amen to, God has placed Himself in dependence of that Word. He has the means, the energy, and the ability to fulfill it. You People don't have it. He has it. And when you have given yourself into God's hands, God will do His work. Accept this by faith and calm down. Stop becoming afraid that you won't make it because the Holy Spirit, by the prophet Isaiah said, will I bear or will I become pregnant and not be able to bear? I am not a God like that. I am not as a mother who can abandon her child if a woman will forget her child. And even if she did, I will never forget you because I have written you upon my palms and you are always before me. 
May the Lord be blessed. Let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Our